All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a lovely ride. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I want to thank our sponsors for the second hour of today's show. They are American Bonanza, Helio Resources, Marathon Gold, Meadow Bay Gold, Metanor Resources, Merrick's Gold, Brazil Resources, American Bonanza, and Paramount Gold and Silver. Well, Bill, when we went to the break, uh, we were just talking about uh, the possibility of putting your money under the mattress is an idea that Robert Prechter has had. And Bob thinks that we're heading for a stock market, uh, Dow Jones, and somewhere around 600. And he is also extremely bearish on gold. What do you think about putting your money under the mattress, or is that an extreme? Uh, you think that's an extreme view? Well, um, let's let's take a look at it from this this angle. Um, there are people listening to your program that may have money at J.P. Morgan, Citigroup, Bank of America, um, etc. And if you look at the changes under the Bush um, um, presidency, basically he changed one of the laws that was changed, basically allowing derivative holders to have a higher claim, essentially, in a bankruptcy than depositors. And if the depositor is only insured up to X amount of dollars by the FDIC, and the FDIC's insurance is only as good as the, the conduit back to the Treasury, i.e. the ability for the Treasury to issue more bonds and, and have willing, you know, willing buyers, then Having money at money center banks, I would say, is a highly risky endeavor. Um, now, is the mattress a safer place than uh, than having a deposit at, at J.P. Morgan? Uh, in that regard, I'd probably have to agree with Bob. Now, let's take it a step further. Um, I know he's he's a very big deflationist, and he believes that uh, the Dow will, I believe, go below a thousand. Um, for that scenario to play out, let's kind of walk through with your listeners. A set of events that would have to have to happen. Number one, you'd almost have to either nationalize and/or liquidate the money center banks. Um, you would um, you would see depositors uh, possibly made whole, possibly at some threshold up and above some certain threshold, not made whole, and um, you know you credit basically seize up, and then the only companies who would be able to continue operating. Um, would be companies with rock-solid balance sheets that could finance their own way, uh, whether it's a gold company or a company producing food, etc. So then what you're talking about is a, a decline in earnings for, let's just use the S&P 500, that would be significant. 
mm-hmm. um, you could have a significant contraction in earnings. So, again, I think Bob's thesis is that there's been so much credit created that credit has essentially driven business activity, most of which is <clears throat> only being repeated based upon credit continuing to flow. And if there's a disruption in credit, you know, you're going to have a, a significant haircut to earnings and or the banking system could totally um, totally unwind. So um, I would say it's a low probability event to get that low, but it, it's possible. I mean, the, I just kind of outlined how it could happen. Um, I think it's also interesting that these large corporations, as I mentioned earlier in the first segment, that are keeping deposits at the ECB and not even keeping deposits at the, at the bank, at the big, large EU banks, that should tell you something. So mm-hmm. um, I think the smart operators of businesses out there are thinking five, six chess moves ahead. They don't like what they see. They don't like what's uh, been done by the central authorities around the world, and they're kind of preparing for disruptions in what you and I would um, view as normal business activities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, uh, Mr. Prechter also is quite bearish on gold, although when I had him on this show some months ago, he uh, believed that gold would perform better than other what he calls commodities. Now, I don't view gold as a commodity. Do you? No, I actually view gold as money. In fact, mm-hmm. gold is is real money. We've always said that at Bering. Um, we've owned gold since we started back in '02. Um, even though gold's had a haircut, and let's say let's say you had a major garage sale or forced liquidation in '12, uh, which I do think is coming. Um, whether that be banking um, entities uh, shrinking their books and or professional speculators shrinking and or going out of business, um, you're going to see, I think, the gold price potentially move lower. Now, uh, we would view that as an opportunity to, um, to buy more gold. We Right now, gold to us, is again, is the only real money. Uh, I have not seen anyone around the world discuss going to a different uh, monetary system, and so therefore I think you know, most of your viewers, I'm sure, view gold as money, and they've decided to own gold versus owning uh, other assets or other, other commodities, etc. But um, I think the gold price, um, even though it could pull back in, in some type of a liquidation, deleveraging, um, I think this, because the steps taken by the authorities are actually putting more risk into the system. Look at the uh, the recent ECB decision to loan money to the um, the banks there at, at 1% over the next three years. Essentially what they're doing is you're, they're creating even more unknowns in the system, I'm talking about the developed governments now, and that's one of the reasons why I think more and more people will be buying gold on, on any weakness that we have because they just don't trust the banking system. So they're going to hide in gold, if you will, until the rules are known and until more deleveraging plays out and until we get further along through the uh, the reset process. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, uh, Mr. Prechter um, looks at gold. As I said, he, he sees gold as performing better than almost anything else except the dollar. And that leads me to a point that I make on this show almost every week, that what people should really be looking at is not the price of gold in dollars, because what is the dollar, as Ian McAvity has observed, the a gold is an ounce of gold is an ounce of gold. A barrel of oil is a barrel of oil. What is a dollar? Well, it's undefined because there's limitless, unlimited amounts of it can be created out of nothing. 
And so what I like to do, Bill, is look at the real price of gold. And as I talk about this frequently on my show, before Lehman Brothers announced that gold would have purchased only 17% of the Rogers Raw Materials Fund, it rose to 44% by March of 2009. It came back when the risk trade was back on. People got optimistic with QE1, QE2. But then when the European crisis evolved, starting with Greece, it went up to 44%. It was as recently as high as 47.5%. means that an ounce of gold will now buy you know, close to three times what it would have bought before in terms of a basket of commodities uh, as compared to what it would have bought before the Lehman Brothers disaster. And with that, Bill, has come an enormous surge in the profits of the major mining companies. And I look at these uh, seven major mining companies, household name companies, in 2008, it was $6.30 was the aggregate earnings of those companies. It went to seven ninety-four in 2009, went to $13.41 last year. This year, it looks like $21 or $22, more likely. And then next year, $29. So from $6.30 to $29 next year, uh, a huge rise in the profitability of mining companies as the profit margins have surged uh, in uh, for these companies as the real price of gold has risen. Now, Bob Hoy, who's been on this show, and I know you know Bob and have followed his work, Bob has talked about how um, this is the sixth major credit contraction for the senior currencies in the last 300 years. And in each and every case, including the 1930s, the real price of gold has risen not just for a couple of years, but for 15 or 20 years. And with that has come a surge of capital into the mining sector, into the gold sector, gold mining sec- sector specifically, which has served to provide liquidity in the ultimate money, nature's money, not the money that politicians forces over the barrel of a gun to use, but what the markets say is money, and that's gold, and to an extent, silver as well. Any thoughts on that? Well, I think a couple of things. Um, getting, getting back to the first part of the uh, interview today, the, the leverage in the system, starting with the evolution of interest rate swaps, credit default swaps, off-balance sheet accounting, i.e. the shadow banking system, um, this, this, again, this created, in my opinion, a lot of fictitious demand in commodities through the 2000s. And now, as economies are slowing down and basically citizens are choking on sovereign debt and literally choking, um, and the government's, of course, trying to keep it all together by raising taxes, imposing austerity, changing different types of accounting principles if you're, if you're in the banking class, um, I think we're going into a deleveraging. Now, Will commodities drop, uh, basic commodities, base metals, uh, grains, et cetera, will they drop faster than the price of gold? It's possible. Um, I think one of the difficulties, and we've talked about this, I think, on your show before, is that it, the speculation in commodities over the last, say, uh, since 2001 has been significant. Why? Well, look at look how easy it is to get leverage via the, the futures exchanges. I mean, I know, for example, on the ICE exchange where they trade crude oil, there was a time when people were owning $100,000, controlling $100,000 of crude oil with less than $1,000. Hmm. So it's leverage in the system that's really masking what, what the real price of these commodities should be. And as we delever, and we are going into this deleveraging, we've begun the process again, and I don't think this is the problem central bankers are having now. The backlash against 
the central planning authorities continues to grow. So how much money can they really print? Okay, how many of these different silos can they can they keep elevated? Um, if we move closer and closer to what I feel will be a major, major deleveraging, starting with Europe, then I think everything's coming down. Uh, commodities are coming down. I think gold can come down some more. Now, that said, I think what's happening also in the background is you've got central banks that are doing the right thing, and that is buying more and more gold because they're trying to restore what little integrity they have left in their paper money system. So the question becomes during this deleveraging, which central banks do the right thing and, let's say, increase their gold ownership as a percentage of their outstanding fiat and restore some sense of, of uh, credibility? you know, with, with their monetary system. Mm-hmm. And that's just going to be a monitoring process. I mean, we, we've seen central bankers buying gold over the last three or four years. Let's see if that continues. I think it will. Mm-hmm. So, you, uh, so you see this as, as an optimistic turn. The markets are going to demand some return to, to logic and sanity. Yeah, I, I think I think there are a number of people now. Um, you know, we were kind of the the lone wolves. I, I would think back going back to like oh five, oh four. We were talking about this credit insanity, and there are more and more people now talking about the inability of sovereign governments to um, or sovereigns to essentially prop up their uh, their banking system. You know, via the expansion of the central bank balance sheet. I mean, look at look at Japan. The central bank balance sheet is roughly thirty percent of their GDP, and they're still mired in this kind of deflationary, rolling recession, depressionary economy. Um, of course, they've got other issues like demographics, et cetera. But the leverage this time around, and this is where I think uh, Bob Prater does very good work. The leverage this time around uh, is unlike anything we've ever seen. And so I think that the deleveraging process is going to be vicious. I mean, we're already seeing it in housing. You've got some people now saying we may not see a bottom in housing for another three to four years because of the issues we've already discussed. Mm-hmm. But um, I do think that, uh, yes, the public, because of alternative media, people are waking up. They're realizing that what's left of their sovereignty is about to be auctioned off by a group of politicians. They're not happy about that. Um, I mean, there was an article the other day about Italy starting to sell assets, you know, their remaining assets, because they can actually, they're at about 120% of debt to GDP. They could take it down quite a bit by selling assets, but the people don't want that. People would rather just default and go back to the lira. So um, we'll see where we go here in the near term. I do think, though, that the central banks are kind of on a short leash. I, I don't think most people are happy with the Federal Reserve. I'm sure you've looked at some of the surveys over the last year or two. I think they've done a hideous job of, uh, of uh, managing this, this uh, debacle, the banking sector debacle, the private sector credit implosion. Um, and I think the ECB is on the verge of trying to do something very similar with these uh, three-year loans. But, you know, is Germany – well, I mean, the German people, for example, they could deal with deflation, but the southern European nations really can't. I mean, that's the reality here. And at some point, the Germans are going to have to draw a line in the sand and say, you know, the numbers here are getting – the bailout numbers are becoming too large. We can't do this. Essentially, this will engulf half of our economy you know, within a few years, we, we, we're going to have to pull away here. Well, Bill, some people, a lot of people, 
don't know about a lot, but quite a few people I know, thought that the euro was a flawed concept to begin with. Uh, are you of that opinion? Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, let's face it, Jay, the, um, the Italians, the Greeks, uh, via the again via the derivative swaps market, they uh, and the help of Goldman Sachs, they were actually allowed to enter the EU. They should have never entered the EU to begin with. Structurally, it's not even it's not even a realistic uh, analysis. And so they were, you know, again part of the EU at the outset. And um, you know, the first I think it was Germany actually that violated the original EU agreement, where sixty uh, percent the GDP debt to GDP was kind of the line in the sand. They exceeded it. Then, of course, the uh, the deficits were were uh, annual deficits. I think the cap was three percent. And of course, there have been many countries uh, uh, already ex- you know exceeding that threshold. And now we're back at the uh, drawing table, and we're going to go create some more money, potentially, and then they're going to have to agree to a whole new set of criteria. I mean, structurally, there's no way for these Southern European nations to um, to meet these obligations. It's impossible. And so do the people kind of uh, sit back and allow the ECB and the other planning authorities to remove what's left of their sovereignty, or do they just leave and default and uh, which is happening technically in Greece, and which I do believe will happen in Spain. I think Spain is a uh, disaster in the making. Same thing with Portugal. Um, so I actually think you'll see the EU um, change quite a bit. I think many of these members will, will have to leave. What about Italy? Um, Italy probably should leave as well, although they may be talking you know, by the Super Mario Brothers, uh, Draghi and... and um, May may you know essentially keep them uh, in in the um, in the EU for the short term. But I, I don't. For example, they just raised their value added tax from twenty to twenty three percent. I mentioned the property tax increases there. Um, it's unrealistic to assume that they're going to generate the uh, revenue needed to again meet this new uh, European stabilization mechanism agreement. It's just uh, it's a fool's game. Hello, Bill. Jay? Yeah. I lost okay. you for a minute. Okay. I, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, so uh, I so I think, yeah, so I think, again, Italy, Portugal, Spain, um, Ireland, probably, uh, uh, I think at some point they're going to leave the EU. I just don't, I think structurally it's impossible for them to play along with the new rules that are being imposed on them by by a basket of Eurocrats. And mm-hmm. um, I think when you look at, for example, the bailout fund, let's say, for example, they do go through with this quote-unquote backstop fund, and let's say it, it amounts to something like a trillion euros over the next several years. I mean, you're talking about economies that are contracting greatly, um, deficits in many of these countries that are increasing, and now you're going to essentially crowd out GDP by you know, 13, 14% based upon the, uh, the new backstop that they've put in place. It's just these are unrealistic um, assumptions. And the best thing to do, and I know uh, several of your guests would probably endorse this, is just to allow these countries to default and maybe you give them a window where if they can get their house in order over the next five years, they could, if they wanted to, I can't see why they would, but they can come back into the European Union. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you mentioned that structurally it's impossible for them uh, to, uh, to, to get their houses in order. I guess you're talking about Greece and Spain and some of the weaker ones, Portugal. Uh, but in fact, that's what they're going to have to do. Let's say that they were to separate then uh, from the union. Wouldn't they then have to get their houses in order in one way or another? They would. They would. They're going to have inflation, obviously. They're going to print their respective currencies, so they're going to have a, a wave of inflation to deal with. Um, you know, even Germany, if you look at the off-balance sheet liabilities, I'm talking about the uh, safety nets in place in, in um, Germany and France. I mean, you've got debt to GDP there that's over 400%. So, you know, all of these countries have a subset of issues to deal with. Let's face it, they're very different cultures, and they're going to be dealing with them in a separate fashion. But I think it's just the numbers, the debt numbers, uh, they're in relationship to what the economy could really put out. Now, think about this also. Who was the biggest beneficiary of the Chinese boom? It was the Germans. Mm-hmm. The Germans were and half their GDP was exports, and so this mm-hmm. mercantilistic model whereby the Chinese, who essentially are being propped up because Americans were consuming Chinese products with home equity loans, you know, we were, you had you had uh, people uh, taking six, seven percent of their home equity out and spending it. Of course, a lot of that revenue went over to China, um, and so you know you have this kind of uh, demand that's not sustainable. It's mm-hmm. just a myth. And so Germany builds their economy thinking that it's sustainable. Now all of a sudden they're they're looking at they've revised the number down twice. They may only have one percent GDP growth in two thousand twelve. So you know, I think even Germany's gonna have problems. You know, well Bill, what signs do you see that China is really um stalling out here? I, I we only have about four minutes left. I wanna if you can spend maybe two minutes talking about that, then I also want to ask you, you had indicated to me offline that you think the Canadian banks may be in trouble. If you could address those two issues. Uh and then I also would like to get an idea of what you know, where you think people should be putting their money. So if you can address those three items before we... Okay, so China uh, money supply surges post um, 0708 private uh, credit implosion. They've got money supply growth of over 25% of GDP. You've had a fixed investment to GDP bubble uh, over 50% for a number of years. That's why you have these empty cities, etc., I think the social unrest in China hits new highs. They have inflation from pegging, you know, quasi-pegging their currency to ours. And so I think ultimately, I think China continues to slow down and deals with uh, numerous problems. Um, the banking system is basically insolvent in China, uh, whereas in 98 they had not performing loans of 40%. I would say the numbers are equivalent or higher today. Unlike 98, when they devalued the currency 50%, mm-hmm. they don't have that room now because they have an inflation problem. Hmm. Um, Canadian banks, I think Canadian banks, a lot of, they're very levered in many cases. I'm not going to give the names out to your listeners today, but I can tell you there's a basket of Canadian banks that are very levered. Um, they um, got caught up in the commodity boom. They were the recipients of, of tremendous you know, growth that was tied to the boom in natural resources. And I think as the U.S. continues to retrench and as commodities come down, I think commodities are going to come down a lot. I think Canadian banks are going to be the topic du jour by the summer, fall of next year. Um, as far as what are we doing to try and navigate through the storm, because this is a, a significant storm, 
Um, we have continued to stay short a basket of both U.S. and European uh, banks. We've been uh, short China for several years. I, I mentioned to you already that China's taken out the 09 lows. We're short the emerging markets. Uh, Brazil's down, I believe, over 25, 26% for the year. India down almost 35% on the year. All kinds of problems in India. Um, again, all of this because of this uh, excess credit boom that we saw in the early part of the 2000s, mid-2000s. So um, we are... Um, we're long businesses that we think can make it through a depression. And so these are businesses that are typically staple type businesses, great on sheet management teams, and they're continuing to do the right thing in a very, very difficult economy. I think those stocks, as well as other stocks, get cheaper. And I just, I would tell your viewers to uh, just make a list of good businesses that you want to buy in a, uh, and kind of a meltdown and uh, and own some of those businesses, but be patient. Uh, and I do think what we had happen in, in Europe in 2011 is going to be something that we see front and center between now and the election. I do not think we make it through the election without several major storms in America. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, on that uh, not-so-happy note, we are going to be talking to Jeff Deist in a few minutes. And uh, if you'd like, uh, Bill, you could uh, stick with us. Uh, and you may have a question or two for, for Jeff if you'd like to hang on. But I want to thank you for coming on and spending a, a whole hour with us already. Uh, do wish you the best. And is there, uh, is there a way that people uh, – I mean, your fund is, is really for, for wealthier individuals, I believe. But is there a uh, – is there a certain amount of money that people need before they uh, before they invest in the bearing fund? Well, yes, we have a we run a private fund uh, for accredited investors here mm-hmm. in the U.S. And you can learn more about what we do at uh, www.bearingasset.com. Our minimums are uh, five hundred thousand dollars, and uh, let me let, just leave it at this. Jay, on a sure. kind of a positive note, I do think once we reset this very broken system, mm-hmm. your next guest is going to talk about someone who I actually endorse. Uh, he's the only one on the campaign that even talks about the truth, and that's Ron Paul. I think once we reset the system and restore uh, this republic, that there will be tremendous opportunities on the other side of this. I just think people have to be incredibly defensive and think about the return of your principal versus the return on your principal. That would probably be the, the, the uh, wise thing to do in the next several years. Excellent. Thank you very much, Bill. Bill Wagner, uh, look forward to having you on again. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Jeff Deist, Ron Paul's Chief of Staff. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. 
by applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Attention gold stock investors, Brazil Resources Inc., trading as BRIZF on the OTCQX and as BRI on the TSX Venture, is exploring three gold projects in the Garupi Gold Belt in Brazil. Surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits, BRI features top Brazilian geologists, earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold directly in Brazil, led by recognized mining and financing executive Amir Adnani, co-founder and chairman. Look us up now at www.brazilresources.com. That's Brazil Resources. Or call us at 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. Africa is known for its world-class gold deposits. Both Namibia and Tanzania are mining-friendly countries, and Helio has been exploring for gold here for the last six years. Backed by an experienced board and committed institutional shareholders, Helio is drilling its SMP Gold Project in Tanzania to demonstrate the potential for a multi-million ounce resource. Helio is also in the process of outlining the resource potential at its DGP project in Namibia, which is situated next to Anglo Gold Ashanti's Navatsjab Gold Mine. For updates, check out helioresource.com. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love and ride. 
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm really pleased to have Jeff Dice with me once again. He is Ron Paul's chief of staff. And Bill Lagner has agreed to uh, hang on with us, and he may have a question for Jeff as well. Jeff, I'd like to start out by asking you to talk to our listeners about the bill that's making its way through the House and the Senate that I think of as America's police state legislation, legislation that would pave the way for any and all of us to be taken off the street if we think or say the wrong things. Talk to us about what's going on in Washington now with regard to this this horrible legislation. Well, a lot, there's a lot of confusion going on. It's the National Defense Authorization Bill, a bill that Congress passes every year, at least in theory. Uh, so that bill is vast, over a 1,000 pages, and contains a lot of authorization language to fund uh, the Defense Department. But it also contains a couple specific provisions that relate to detention of folks um, without trial or without even charge. And that's basically Section 1021 and 1022 of the final bill. And what you have to understand is there was no objection about any of this stuff from the Obama administration. On the contrary, they, they sought out as much power as they could. And that's, under, that's, that's really to be... To, you know that's predictable simply because almost all administrations seek to increase their own power, mm-hmm. and really it's section 1021 of the bill that is of the greatest concern, and that's the section that has the most gray area. Um, it's a discretionary portion of the bill, but basically it authorizes the president to detain people who are uh, associated with Al Qaeda or the Taliban or engage in hostilities against the U.S. or its coalition partners. So it has all this really broad language that has no legal definition for any of this stuff. And that's the Section 1021 that a lot of people, especially myself, believe uh, could set the stage for un- you know, just detaining U.S. citizens right here in America who haven't even left the country uh, indefinitely yeah. without charging them, without giving them a trial, without giving them an attorney, without giving them any of the panoply of due- criminal due process rights that, that our Constitution grants us. Um, and anybody who wants to say this is far-fetched, that's absolute nonsense. You never know what, what this administrations or future administrations are capable of. And when you're, you, what you're really doing, Jay, is giving them cover of law. I mean, yeah. administrations break the law. They do extra legal things all the time. Yeah. But, but, you know, damn it, we don't need Congress sitting here giving them sort of plausible deniability and cover with this vague, vague language. And, and you know, just uh, uh, the Senator Lindsey Graham from South Carolina was trumpeting this, saying, you know, we finally are including the homeland in our definition of the battlefield. Huh. Um, so really, McCain and Lindsey Graham are the two very, very worst uh, senators on this. They, they basically got what they wanted, and the House acquiesced. Right. So we don't have to be, I don't have to know personally somebody in al-Qaeda or even be sympathetic to al-Qaeda, but what if I say, we ought to get rid of the Federal Reserve because the Federal Reserve is causing us all this economic uh, pain. Could I be considered an enemy of the state? I, I think it's entirely plausible. Let's say five years from now, Jay, a group that is very hostile to the Fed, uh, a group who has you on their mailing list and maybe even their donor list, 
uh, has some rogue members who go out and uh, uh, do something terrible and blow up a Fed building somewhere, God forbid. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they they are they now become a, a terrorist organization. Um, is that is that outside the realm of possibility? Not at all. And and the point is not what does this bill make possible. The point yeah. is that you've got a Congress that's laying on the ground and letting administrations run over its back mm-hmm. and, and, and giving away more and more power. And, and you know, look, the, there's only one path that this goes down, and that's making Americans less free. Okay, Whether mm-hmm. it goes down that at 100 miles per hour or 10 miles an hour, you know, there's some gray area in here that's subject to, to interpretation, but it's going the wrong direction, no question. Yeah, and what worries me really, Jeff, and, and Bill as well, is that uh, as the economy gets weaker, these kinds of um, liberties are being taken away because we have to do it in the name of, of, of self-protection or of uh, economic uh, well-being, supposedly. And I think exactly the opposite uh, is the outcome. Bill, you had uh, a question, I think, for, uh, for Jeff as well. Well, Jeff, uh, recently I know Ron had discussed the idea of uh, a trillion-dollar Cut to the budget, uh, getting the budget at least back to the, I think the 2005 or 2006 level. Um, you know, we, we have a budget today where essentially we're, we're running deficits of one, you know, cash on cash, 1.5, 1.6 trillion dollars a year. It's insane. It's never been tried before. And I remember Reagan, you know, he was running deficits, GDP of maybe six, seven percent. They were, they were attacking him daily. Um, what's the probability of getting any traction on Capitol Hill in terms of, you know, cutting the budget this much in a world where, let's face it, the government's continue to grow and continue to fund and misallocate capital with reckless abandon? Well, I think the traction is going to come politically when, <clears throat> you know, people just stop buying our debt and stop allowing the Fed and the Treasury Department to, to create more and more debt, and, and, and interest on that debt becomes an unsustainable portion of the federal budget. But, look, I, I think it's hilarious that Ron's proposal to cut a trillion in year one is considered outrageous or draconian. Um, I, I mean, look, the, the bottom line here is right now federal revenues are pretty stagnant. They've been around $2 trillion, $2.1 trillion, and they've been stuck there for a couple of years. And I see nothing on the horizon that leads me to believe that those are going to spike in terms of an increase anytime soon. So yeah, let, me, let, me, let me add something to that, and, and I think this is the most uh, interesting piece of the puzzle that most people are not, not really connecting the dots on. The foreigners are losing their appetite for our debt already. The guys bidding for the debt currently are the people who have lost all trust in the system, and so they're selling let's say, stocks that they've owned for many, many years, and they're buying you know, three-month T-bills or six-month T-bills or what have you. So you have a larger and larger part of the population that typically wants to embrace some risk, some, let's say, quantifiable risk. They're giving up on that, and they're just saying, you know what, I'm going to, because I don't trust the landscape, I'm just going to go to a six-month, a six-month T-bill, which in essence keeps putting a bid in this bond market that really shouldn't have a bid. Uh, and then, you, of course, you add the whole deleveraging phenomena, which Jay and I talked about during the first hour. So, uh, unfortunately, I think there will be buyers of treasuries in, in the near term. I think, I think, you know, in terms of giving up on treasuries, yeah, but that, that may be a year or two away, three years away. Well, I suppose yeah. there's also a flight to relative safety from the euro, maybe, down the road. Right. 
That's but, exactly right. Yeah. But you know, the, the the bottom line here is, at some point, there are natural limits on how many dollars the world is going to absorb, mm-hmm. and and the Fed can turn around and try to be the buyer of last resort until it's blue in the face. But uh, um, you know, uh, look, two point. Well, let's say the federal government takes in two trillion dollars. That's about the O three or O four budget. Okay, that's, that's George right. W. Bush, big spending Bush, in full flight. Okay, we've got Medicare Part D. We've got the war in Iraq. I mean, the federal government was not uncomfortably small just a few years ago, in 2003 or 2004. Okay, if we can't, if we can't just say, okay, look, we need to go back to 2003-2004 budget and at least stop creating any more debt. If we can't do that as a country, I, I, I honestly don't know what to say. I mean, the, 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 the people's notions and expectations of what the federal government ought to be are at that point are just too out of whack to even really understand. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, uh, it, it is kind of out of whack uh, already to understand, I think, for most people, and I think this is why uh, your boss, Ron Paul, is making a lot of sense uh, to a lot of the populace. You know, my mom, years ago, the first time Ron, well, the last time Ron ran for president, my mom, who was only um, finished her, or went halfway through her sophomore year in high school, said to me, she said, Jay, he's the only one that makes any sense up there. And, uh, and and I think that's true. Um, Jeff, there is a, a bill also going through now. We hear a lot about it on the on the radio, at least about the um, payroll taxes. What's what's going on there with that? Well, Jay, for the last couple of years, in the teeth of this recession slash depression, uh, there was a small cut in uh, in payroll taxes, uh, basically your FICA and FUDA taxes that come out of your paycheck um, that that fund Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. Um, abs- that, that, that cut, that slight reduction is set to expire on, on New Year's here coming up. So basically the House and the Senate are fighting over this. The, uh, the Senate has passed a bill that would extend that just another couple months to get through the holidays and let Congress come back. The House wants to uh, extend it another full year. And it, this is all window dressing. This is establishment statism on both, uh, from both parties. Uh, you know, talk about rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. It's, it's nothing substantive. And, uh, you know, frankly, I think your listeners are too smart to, to be caught up in this, uh, you know, day-to-day uh, bickering between the, the parties over trivial issues. Oh, hope, hope I haven't lost you, Jay. Are you still there? Jeff, Jeff, I'm here. I... Well, we may have lost him. No, I'm here. I'm sorry about that. I, I actually hit the mute button uh, when I had to cough a minute ago, and I forgot to take it off. My apologies to my listeners and, the, and to the both of you. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I, I'm really uh, – Jeff would really like to talk to you a little bit about some – uh, some of the politics that are going on, I, I think that would have to be left for another day, perhaps. But, um, Bill, thank you very much for being on the show. And, Jeff, again, um, let's, uh, let's just keep uh, working for Ron Paul. I, that's that's um, at least what I want to do because I believe that he is uh, the only person out there who really, who really would return us to our liberties. And I don't mean it's because I think there's a lot of bad people out there. I think people are just ignorant about what's going on. But I also believe that that Dr. Paul is doing an excellent job of educating people um, and helping them see the truth. Uh, Bill, any final ideas or thoughts? No, I, I 
I think Ron's doing a great job. I think more and more people are finally waking up to uh, the reality that Keynesianism doesn't work. And, uh, you know, we have 0% interest rates. We have governments running massive deficits. And there's no improvement globally in the economy. In fact, if anything, the economy's been uh, more damaged, obviously, and it's contracting at a, at a more uh, vicious pace. So I think this will actually help his cause, Ron's cause, and more and more people, if anything, there's awareness now. It's something that was, that's been lacking in this country for many, many, many years. Well, I, I certainly think that's true. And uh, uh, from what we see and what we hear, uh, there is uh, some real traction being picked up, at least in Iowa. I'm going to talk, uh, make some of my own comments in the closing moments of today's show. We do have to go to a commercial break. Again, I want to thank Jeff and Bill for being with us. Thanks, both of you, and I hope to have both of you back on again sometime in the near future. Folks, don't go away. I'll be back with some closing thoughts on today's show. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 14.9 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. Merix Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merix and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $17 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merix's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. Meadow Bay Gold is a gold exploration, pre-production, and development company focused on developing its flagship project, the Atlanta Gold Mine in Nevada. Meadow Bay Gold has recently announced a significant gold porphyry discovery at the Atlanta Mine and is currently conducting a significant drill program. Meadow Bay Gold trades under the symbol MAYGF on the OTCQX or MAY on the TSX Venture Exchange. To learn more about Meadow Bay Gold, go to www.meadowbaygold.com. Gold in Nevada, the right stuff in the right place. American Bonanza Gold's Copperstone Project, located in Arizona, is on track for a fourth quarter 2011 mine and startup process with the goal of achieving full production by the end of the year 2011. American Bonanza is fully funded and permitted with no debit or hedge. The company has a clear strategy to create a highly profitable, mid-tier gold-producing company beginning in fourth quarter 2011. Join the current gold bull market. Be a part of a new gold producer in 2011. American Bonanza Gold Corp. Visit the website at American AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. Capitalizing on North America's gold assets, Marathon Gold Corp. MOZ on the TSX is building value through resource development in Newfoundland and Idaho. Q1 2012 is expected to be a rewarding time for Marathon. 
with an update resource estimate expected on its economic leprechaun gold deposit in Newfoundland, and an initial resource estimate is expected at the same time on its golden chest project in Idaho, a historical producer. Don't miss this opportunity to capitalize on today's gold price. For more info, visit www.marathon-gold.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Uh, I was reminded or at least told by somebody uh, in my office here that I forgot to mention Rypatch as a sponsor. I don't believe I forgot it, but in case I did, Rypatch uh, is a sponsor. And that is worth noting not only because they are a sponsor, but also because they've had some fantastic news recently. They uh, were able to gain some claims uh, of a property is uh, in Nevada that has a considerable amount of gold on it, and it has uh, actually a, a Coeur d'Alene, uh, a project that was owned by Coeur d'Alene. They failed to uh, to um, to do their reporting or to do their uh, renew their their ownership of those claims, and so Rypatch uh, uh, found that they were open for acquisition. They acquired them, and it looks like a bonanza for Rypatch Gold. Uh, that is a company that I have recommended on my list, not because of that, but because. I believe the company offered very good value. The shares did rise very dramatically as a result of that acquisition, uh, but it's a, it's a company like many of the companies on my list, the junior mining companies that I think have huge upside potential as we go into 2012. That said, we also need to be very careful about the companies that we buy. And uh, we do want to watch the companies that have a good cash resource so they don't have to go back to the market and issue shares at a time when share prices are very low. Uh, and uh, my good wife, who works with me here uh, uh, in with my newsletter, did a lot of research and pulled together in my last newsletter uh, all the companies that are on my list. We did some uh, cash and working capital numbers that we think are very valuable to investors. Uh, it is a time when the senior mining companies are doing extremely well, and I believe those companies like Rypatch and a host of others that are on our list, companies that uh, are building large deposits of gold in the ground, will be takeover targets, and they will do extremely well. The companies that might not do as well, especially if I'm right and we're going into a very difficult or, let's say, a contraction in credit and in the equity markets, then those companies that have to go out and raise capital on a regular basis uh, to explore and develop uh, could be in a very vulnerable position. So uh, we want to be cognizant of that. It is the best of times. It is the worst of times, potentially, for junior mining companies. Uh, just the right... Again, to repeat the performance of the senior mining companies, I'm looking at companies like Agneagle Eagle, Anglo Gold, Barrick Gold, Goldfields, Gold Corp, 
Kinross, Newmont, Yamana Gold, those companies collectively have their earnings have risen from six dollars and thirty cents in two thousand eight to thirteen dollars and forty one cents last year with this year almost completely gone the estimates from the analysts that cover them is twenty one dollars and ninety cents and next year twenty nine dollars and twenty five cents so we've seen a dramatic rise in the cash flow and the profits of senior mining companies this is a bull market of a lifetime i continue to believe that i think it's a great time to look at gold mining shares selectively because we've had a very difficult year the gold shares have really gotten hit hard this year in spite of the underlying positive fundamentals. I've been telling my subscribers to build cash, have cash on hand so they can buy the juniors at very opportune prices. I think this uh, 2012 could be a stellar year for the junior mining companies. Again, of course, if you're interested in my newsletter, those of, uh, the letter of Chen Lin and Roger Wiegand, you can go to miningstocks.com. That's miningstocks.com. Or call our office in New York at 718 718- Four five seven one four two six. That's seven one eight four five seven one four two six. Well, next week I am going to be uh, the main guest myself. I'm going to talk about. Actually, I'm going to deliver uh, what I delivered to in many of my speeches around the world when I talk in China and and Switzerland and in uh, Vancouver and elsewhere. I'm going to talk about protecting yourself from the creature from Jekyll Island. The creature from Jekyll Island, of course, is the name of a book. Uh, the author of that book was my very first guest back in March of 2009. Ed Griffin talked to us about the creature of Jack, from Jekyll Island. It is the Federal Reserve Bank is the creature from Jekyll Island. Who owns the Federal Reserve Bank? Uh, and why was it created? And for what reason was it really created uh, as opposed to the reasons that it stated for its creation? And once you understand that, you can really start to understand a little better why it is the policies that are being made, why it is that the banks are being bailed out at the expense of taxpayers, why it is that Ron Paul is gaining uh, more and more traction, I think, in the elections, and why it is also that common folks are really starting to understand what's going on. You know, it was really alarming to me. I heard this morning on Bloomberg, they were saying that Ron Paul is now projected to win the Iowa primaries. But if he wins, according to some leading Dem uh, Republican uh, bosses, that it would discredit the Iowa primary. Why? Well, because it would show that any sort of crazy idea could win, and Iowa just wouldn't have the respectability anymore. I think this is nonsense. I think it's just a spin from the same people that created the creature from Jekyll Island, the same people, the establishment, the people that are benefiting from the reallocation of wealth, and, that, and this is really what is going on here. Why the Federal Reserve was created? It was to uh, it, it was to socialize uh, risks and or losses and privatize gains. And we've seen this happen post Lehman Brothers in spades. It's the reason that Occupy Wall Street is mad as hell. Why people are uh, are gathering around the world? Why the Tea Party, to a great extent, has been uh, created? And I think uh, populist candidates are going to gain more and more respectability, at least if they are telling the truth. And uh, more and more, I think people are realizing that Ron Paul uh, has, uh, has is telling the truth, is really talking about what's going on. And he's easy to believe because he's never changed his position. He doesn't flip-flop. He's always believed in the same things. He believes that things don't change, that people don't change, and that di the dynamics that make people work hard and create wealth doesn't change over time. Well, that's all the time we have for now. Uh, I do want to thank uh, Tacey Trump, my senior executive producer, for making this show 
as well as Justin Jackman for making this show uh, strategically uh, possible. I want to thank each of you for listening and, of course, our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time is